Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast this week. We're excited to have you joining us again, tuning back in. We're going to start off today talking a little bit of playoffs, breaking down some of the teams, some of the matchups, what things have uh, transpired since we last met with you. We'll jump into uh, coach talk next, what kind of opening vacancies we have, what kind of coaches fit systems the best, and we'll finish it off breaking back down the lottery a little bit and where teams ended up at, and maybe some names that might uh, fit for the future. Let's jump into it. the parking lot um, a lot to talk about we got a lot of playoff action we just got done watching that uh, Denver Utah uh, snail race that was such a weird game seven and such a weird like cap to what was such an exciting series all this momentum all these points overtimes 50 50 burgers left and right <laughs> It was just. It felt. It felt like we were back at the 2003 Detroit Pistons for San Antonio Spurs. You know, just some old school <laughs> smash and bash basketball tonight, man. We were at the Palace, man. Oh yeah. Don't talk about exciting game of 2020 like that. <laughs> I felt like I, I was like in the the parking lot of Home Depot, just unloading like a ton of bricks, like back into my pickup <laughs> <laughs> The whole game was the second half. I was telling you guys, I. I, uh, I I had a little vested interest actually. I, I I had a a little money on Denver in the series, and so I wrote it off when they were down three one. So I, you know they kept winning, and it's like oh, maybe I'm not gonna get my hopes up, right? <laughs> so so game seven rolls around, and I you know I, I'm not. It can go either way. Like I know Jamal Murray was like just going off for a couple of games, but we were halfway through the second half and, and Denver had 15 points. There was seven minutes left in the fourth quarter and Denver had 15 points in the second half, like the whole third quarter and like five minutes into the fourth quarter and they were still winning. And I'm like, this is, I don't know. It was crazy. They're lucky to be alive. That's for sure. But for sure. they got stopped when they needed to and they, they pulled it out. So they're moving on. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Lunch is on, right? That's right. That's right. Lunch is on. I just on uh, my man Nikola Jokic, a little baby hook he gave me. Fourth <laughs> quarter, feathery touch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think we're all in agreement that they're gonna get absolutely spanked by the Clippers, but yeah, I don't see it being super close, man. I think that that they look exhausted this game. Like you just yeah. felt like Denver and Utah just both. Uh, they they were relying so much on on star play and. And it was fun to watch. Like, I, we were talking about it today when we wanted to, to jump on the podcast, and we're like, after you, this game, because this game's going to be great, you know? It's been an awesome series, and I just think that they look really tired today, and I'm afraid that's going to trans, kind of transfer over to – I mean, say what you want, but the Clippers had a pretty tough series against Dallas. Like, they were physical, and so maybe Absolutely. they'll get some of a break there, but it just looked like – you. it just felt like Denver was a little bit gassed. So we'll have to see if they kind of get a better matchup here for them going forward. Yeah, what do you think of the Eagles foul? Joel Murray. He was like a different player after that. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was like a hip check. A la Robert Orris, Steve Nash. Not as maybe as I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Ingles went to help him up right after. But it was a it was pretty like I feel like dirty contact at the very least, even if it wasn't malicious in intent. Um, but Murray was hobbled, man. He was like limping on it most of the rest of the game. He relied so much on that first step and I just felt like he was a different player. And so it would have been a tough pull to swallow <laughs> a couple ways. <laughs> if Denver For loses sure. because Murray's hobbled up because he gets hip-checked you know, late in the first half, that sucks. Because they had a 20-point lead and, like, it evaporated. Like, when he had – he lost that explosion, that step. He wasn't shooting great, but, like, who knows if that affected it. <laughs> but secondly, <laughs> if Tory Craig misses that layup with – Four seconds left in the game. <laughs> hits that shot. Goes in and out. Conley hits that shot. Can you imagine Denver going home? Because Tory Craig missed a wide open, uncontested layup. <laughs> oh, imagine. It just kind of capped. Like, I feel like that just capped that series a little bit, you know? Like, it just kind of had a little bit of everything. And it's like, 
he misses the layup and you're like you wouldn't be surprised if 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 Conley hits that shot and so it just like this year just had it had a little bit of everything man yeah let me run this by you yeah what if Murray had gotten hip checked and Jokic was on the bench and he stood up to go check on Murray and then got kicked out of the game for the rest of the game and maybe suspended the next playoff game that'd be crazy right yeah could you imagine that I would say in memory of David Stern that we take it a step further and we exile him out of the bubble Exile out of the country. Back to Serbia. That is grounds for exile. I do have a bet to run by you guys. I bet you lunch that the Nuggets will not win another game by scoring 80 points in a basketball game. Oh, I'm not taking that one at all. (laughs) Maybe maybe breakfast, but definitely not lunch. Yeah, that's a McDonald's breakfast right there, but nothing more than that. Uh, let's talk Donovan and uh, Jamal Murray. I know it was uh, kind of a weird game seven, but what a series for both of them. Like, hats off. I, I've, I've been critical of uh, both guys in the past just for being inconsistent, uh, being inefficient. And like, there's no saying that's just magically gone after a good series. But, man, they really showed us, like, another level, like another gear that they had. Uh, and, I mean, obviously I'm a Devin Booker fan, but – I got to be honest, like, that's a similar class of player. Like, and, and Devin Booker is still working to fight, fighting to get into the playoffs. I think he looked great in the bubble. But I, I'd put them all on, like, similar levels, like, at least as far as their ceiling, like, what they can – how they can affect a game in the fourth quarter. They can all – they've shown us that they can all go kind of supernova and just take over a game. And it was – I didn't know that Jamal had that in him. I knew he was a good player. I knew he's a streaky scorer. I didn't know that he could be that level dominant on the offensive end and, and to Donovan Mitchell's credit like he's becoming more of a playmaker he's talked about that how he wants to add that to his game um, he was hitting shots a lot more efficiently than this series than he has in the past so the next evolution for these guys is and that's Tatum Tatum Booker Mitchell and Jamal Murray like those are all it's kind of a similar mold of player and like that's the future of the league it's, it's exciting Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think it was I think it was Kenny Smith that made the point after I think game six of this series that because of the the break, this is kind of like the next season for these young players. They've kind of like taken that next development step because they had this like three month break. It's like another season. It's like another start. So that's why you saw like Luca feel like he took a step. Devin Booker yeah. felt like he took a step forward. Like. It's like it's the next season in their career evolution. For sure. And that's, I think it's an interesting point because I think you are kind of seeing these young players develop quicker from one, from this, uh, from the end of the season to the beginning of the restart. Yeah. It would have been really easy for these guys to like kind of mail it in a little bit, you know, like I think, to be honest, I feel like you've seen that a little bit in baseball is that some of these guys like just don't maybe look like some of these guys just don't look as ready to go as you would, as you would like as a team. But I feel like there's been a lot of young guys who have really come back in the bubble and who are playing really well and credit to them because they, they've, they stayed working on their craft and they stayed hungry and, and it's really shown, like it's really shown like Jamal Murray, he was, he was out. He kind of wasn't really there around in the bubble very much. And then he comes back and he's, he's fresh and he's hot. And so, it's been fun to see these young guys kind of have that progression a little bit, like in in kind of a zoom, like a fast forward way and kind of easier to see to the future a little bit with some of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned Luca, like he's shown us that he's clearly like kind of on a level above all of these guys. And I would even like, if I was ranking, I'd probably put Tatum like first out of that, like four some that I mentioned, but it's, it is, it, I don't know. It's close. It's interesting. Like, I, th- I think Luca's kind of on this extra level where he's like pushing upwards of like the Giannis's and like, the top elite MVP level players. But then when you start rounding out your top like 20, 25 guys, like it gets interesting. You have like the young guys that are coming up, and it's you can throw De'Aaron Fox in there. I mean, we'll see how he looks next year. He wasn't in the well, he wasn't the bubble, and he looked good in stretches. But yeah, massive credit to these guys. Um, so. Speaking of Tatum, I mean, he and his Celtics up 2-0 over Toronto. 
Yeah, it's almost like uh, I think somebody on this podcast said that Toronto needed a, a closer or something, and if their offense stopped working, and if they only could score ninety nine points in a game, and, <laughs> and like they needed somebody in the fourth quarter to to score for them when nothing else is working, and that Boston <laughs> was going to win the series. I, I don't know who that was. <laughs> we but... knew the snag was coming. We knew it was coming. Yeah, the it's right. It's fair. Spicy peas like squeezing the bottle of sriracha, trying to like get any like last drop out of it. He's looking like playoff pea, man. It's it's been tough. <laughs> it's been tough. tough go over it. But, yeah, I, I and I think it's less. <laughs> maybe this is just revisionist history, and like this is just convenient from from my Toronto pick. But I feel like it's less Toronto not showing up and more Boston showing up. Because I think Boston's been sharp. I think Kemba's been hitting his shots in the fourth quarter. He's cardiac Kemba. And, like, he's consistently hitting, like, dagger step backs. But Mark is smart, man. That's, he's such a good – he is such a bonus to that team because he's going to give you that defense and that tenacity every game. But when he gives you the offense, it's such an X factor. Like, he just pushes that team over the top. It's so tough to beat him when they have their guys firing. They have Kemba, Tatum. Brown firing like they normally do, and then you get Marcus Smart adding on top of that. Well, like, I think Boston as a team shot like forty percent from three tonight. Yeah, like they've been they've been shooting lights out the last couple games in the in the series. The first two games in the series, they've been shooting lights out. Yeah, Boston's right at forty percent. They were thirty nine point five today. And so and I think that's kind of where the kind of where the series has gone looking at Toronto. They were they were 27 and a half today. Um, I know Van Fleet specifically was three for 12 and Siakam was one for four. So yeah. I, I still feel confident I, I, in everything that Stuart, you, everything you pointed out has been completely true. I think that Boston has had a better score going down at the end of the game and these games have been tight and you've seen that like I, I still I'm still confident in Toronto. I'm still going to wait. I'm still patient. Um, I even without Kawhi, they're defending champs. I don't. They're not going to get. I, I just can't see this getting like four zero or or four one. I think that they're still too good for that. Um, if they can just hit some shots, and they're playing good defense. Like I mean, it's, both teams are. It's tight. So I think if they could just hit some more shots and stay stay locked in on defense and try not to let Tatum go off for he went for thirty four today. Try to try to rein him in a little bit. I think Toronto's going to be okay, but. You gotta think Toronto gets at least two wins, right? They at least. Make I just can't see him going out fast. I can't see it. But it's, I mean, it's fun to watch Boston. Like I'd be happy to watch Boston, like really, like like win this in five or six, like with some momentum and like see what they can do because, like, we'll talk about Milwaukee in a second, but they look shaky. Um, yeah. Boston, they're such a they're such a tough matchup for teams, and when they're playing like this level, especially offensively, and they're shooting the ball this well, like. And they're exciting. And I think they're – we've talked about it for years. Like, they, they've been this blueprint. Brad Stevens and, like, the Boston Celtics of, like, like future success in the league. Like, this is how you build, like, wing after wing after wing after wing. Yep. And it's yep. starting to finally materialize. Like, I have to say, like, for a while it's like, okay, that's, that's nice in theory, but how does that actually, like, work on the court when you have – obviously Gordon Haywood's hurt right now, but it's like you have, you have four starting caliber small forwards. How do you, like – like sew that all together into like playoff success. And they're kind of showing us how, I don't know what the blueprint looks like. And it's, it's impressive. To the least. Yeah. I've I forgot Boston about Hayward. Yeah. Boston and six. Yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got Boston. And six. I don't think Toronto goes out any quicker than that. Um, I do think Pascal is just too good. I just think you get down to the fourth quarter, the score is, 99 to 102 and you've got Jason Tatum to close it out or yeah. if he's cold, you got Kemba to close it out and I don't see that with Toronto. Yeah, you're right because I think Boston legitimately has two players I would rather have taking a shot over anyone on Toronto's roster. As much as I like Van Fleet, I don't think Kyle Lowry has like that clutch like step back shot making ability. Sure. Um, and, and between Kemba and Tatum, like take your pick. Like that's that is poisonous, man. You don't want to be in a close game with them late. Yeah, I had just mentioned, I, I kind of forgot about Gordon Hayward, which is crazy. Like, they're up 2-0, yeah. and they don't have Hayward. And, I mean, they're impressive. Like, I, I, I have to give a lot of credit. Like, I've, I've been high on Boston. I, I don't 
I don't think they're a bad team whatsoever. I just, I, I, and it's been close. I, I still, I still, like I said, I feel good about Toronto, but they're just, but Boston's just kind of clicking. And to be completely honest, I think they're a great matchup going forward for a lot of teams, like especially in the West. I think they match up and can play fast with some of these teams and they, they would be a fun, they would be a fun finals. Like if they were to get there, they would be a fun matchup for a lot of these teams in the West where it is a little bit faster yeah. paced. They might be able to match up better. So yeah, I, I, I still could see, I could see Toronto going four in a row. I, I really could. Like I think that they're just that deep and talented where I could see them. And I think they're all going to be close games. I think both these teams are very evenly matched. But I, I, I don't know. I still feel good about Toronto. So, so we'll have to see so what kind we'll, of transpires. We'll out and, and say Boston makes it and they play the Lakers in the finals. Lakers have all this size, right? all these centers, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee. You have Time Lord Robert Williams for the Boston <laughs> Celtics. The Time Lord himself matching up against the best of the best big man in the West. That's, right. a, that's a matchup I'd pay to see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to your point though, they're versatile. Like they, like Daniel Tice, he can he can play big, he can play small. Like he can stretch the floor, he can bang around and and, and grab you twelve rebounds. So like it's, they're, yeah, they're such a, a versatile team. Is there? Like, that's what I hope. We, mm-hmm. That's what I hope we see with this with this potential Lakers and Rockets semi. Is you're going to see the clash of these two different styles. Yeah. Like the Lakers are the epitome of kind of this old style of basketball with two traditional bigs. I mean, AD can stretch the floor a little bit, but like two traditional bigs and you have one of the greatest players of all time in LeBron. And then you've got the Rockets who are just going to hoist a bunch of threes and (laughs) try to play fast. I mean, I think I'm hoping that the Rockets pull out a game seven, but I mean, because I want to see that matchup. Yeah, for sure. Style-wise, I think it's kind of epitomized, like by that Lakers, but the potential. I mean, obviously there's a game seven tomorrow, but if Houston plays the Lakers, I think it's kind of epitomized by some of those reports. Woj and Shams were reporting about that, like players-only meeting last week. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the NBA and how there was some dissent um, from kind of LeBron's directive. How there was young players that like kind of felt slighted or like there was a slight disconnect between like LeBron and some like the younger players in the league. Sure. And I think that's kind of epitomized by this style. Like LeBron's like a transcendent player and like he can, he can play as a point four. So he can play kind of an older style basketball. He can play a newer style basketball. But like, I just think there's like two different waves of basketball right now, two different ways. We were just talking about all these young stars, different styles. Like I feel like it's so fascinating to like look at the different styles um, and look at the different styles of players because I think we're seeing them clash like on an individual level, like some of those reports indicated, and then like really like kind of in a more macro sense, like in a s- stylistic way. When you look at like a D'Antoni system versus like, like a Doc River system, for example, like those are both full-time coaches that have just totally different coaching styles. So it's super interesting. It's a lot going on. It's a culmination of different styles for sure. So what I think that kind of leads into like we we wanted to talk a little bit about this Miami Milwaukee series as well. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of leads into a little bit of what we're seeing in the East where it's like and, and Stuart again, like you've been you've been hot. You for week one, man, you were hot. But <laughs> but it there's have been some reports about Bud just kind of being stuck in what he does and like he believes in his system, which I, I don't blame a coach for feeling that way and being really and I and in some fans we've seen it with D'Antoni for so many years now. He just believes in this this system and he's gonna he's gonna run it and he hasn't got over the top. I still think he's a good coach. I think he still has that opportunity to do it. But um but you know, Eric Spoltra is just like he's been known as a guy who like has taken different rosters, taken different people and been able to adapt and um and so it's kind of playing out in this series exactly what you're talking about with these kind of these kind of contrasting head coaches a little bit. And so going forward, Miami, Milwaukee, I think we're going to see a little bit of that. Who's going to make adjustments? Who's going to do what to try to get the edge coaching wise? Milwaukee should have grabbed Luke Walton when they had the chance. <laughs> what a swing and a miss, man. What a missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that series is interesting. Do you think uh, who's surging more right now? 
Milwaukee or Miami. Miami hasn't lost in the playoffs yet. Um, oh, you're right. I Boston, didn't think about that. I'm not sure Boston has either. Um, Boston's no, Boston has well. either because they, they, they swept Philly. So neither team has lost in the playoffs. That's I, They're both surging. I think they play slightly different styles of basketball. But um, Miami's exciting, man. The way like Jimmy Butler, I've watched him on multiple possessions get to the cup, have an open layup, pass out of that layup to an open three-point shooter as he draws the defense in. But, I mean, he's drawing the defense in, but like he, he legitimately has an open dunker layup, and he's passing out of it. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen him do it two or three times. And he's passing to an open three-point shooter, and I think out of the three possessions I've seen, they've knocked two of those down, and he's like visibly like an emotionally like pumped that it worked, that he, he trusts his teammates so much that he's passing out of an open layup for an open three and like Duncan Robinson rewards him. And it's, I mean, synergy, like to a T it's incredible. Uh, They're just playing like on another level. I think Jimmy Butler is the perfect guy for Miami. Uh, it, they've just been a blast to watch. I think they're a really, really tough matchup for Miami. Bam can match up with Giannis a little bit and yep. look out they're They're a freight train right now. Yeah, I think you're seeing why culture matters in the NBA with um, with Miami and Jimmy Butler. Like, Jimmy's had this record of not being a great teammate or, or being kind of hard-nosed in, like, Minnesota and even in Philly a little bit. And now he's gotten to Miami, and I feel like they're this buttoned-up, like, like, tough, gritty organization. And it's just a perfect fit. Like, it's a match made in heaven for for Jimmy in Miami and it's it's really nice to see see him flourishing. I've always been a big bigger Jimmy Butler fan than a lot of other people have. I think he's a really, really talented player and I think he's gotten a bad rap for not great reasons, but I think seeing him in, in Miami is, is is a great sight. It is great just, fit. Yeah, he fits like a glove, man. That system sports just so, incredible. Looking at Milwaukee's stats from game one, um, it's kind of interesting. So Milwaukee actually shot 45.7% from the three-point line, which you think would – like because they, they really do rely on the three-point ball with the honest kind of breaking everything down and then a lot of good ball movement. But they got 18 from Giannis, which isn't – I mean, that's, that's lower than obviously than his average, but he still had 10 boards and nine assists. I feel like he's making an impact. Um, Middleton got you 28. Lopez got you 24. Yeah, Middleton looked back to his normal self in game one at least. Yeah, it, it just feels like – it feels like with those kind of numbers, like a good three-point percentage, and then you're getting enough help for Giannis, it feels like those numbers should be good enough, and they end up losing this game by 11. Like, it just – I don't know what – like, adjustment-wise for Milwaukee, I, I think that they can win this series. I think they're still a really talented team. But they kind of hit on all cylinders a little bit. I, I think they, they just need a little bit more bench help. But but they hit on all cylinders in a lot of ways. Like you, like that's a game that you would look on paper and be like, yeah, if, if Middleton's getting twenty eight, Lopez twenty four, Giannis yeah. eighteen, like you gotta feel pretty good. You shot forty five and a half percent from the three point line. You you would think that's pretty good. And so it's like I don't know what kind of adjustments Milwaukee needs to make. I don't know. I don't know what, like, what do they need to do? Like, how are they going to beat Miami? Like, what's the secret yeah, to beating Miami? It's, it's the question of what adjustments they need to make versus what adjustments they, like, refuse to make. And I think that's the Stewart's point about, point about Coach Bud. Because I just, he, he's obviously a great coach. He's proved he's a great coach. And I think the playoffs, and especially this bubble, has been, like, really interesting because it's so transparent. So you see, like, the coaching styles, like, play out. I feel like even more than in the past. But, like, his – like stubbornness and some of his deficiencies, like I feel like are killing this team. He won't like I depth is good to a certain extent. Absolutely. It's, it's the same thing we've seen with Mike Malone. And I think they're, they, we just talked about how like they, they survive by the skin of their teeth, like too much depth sometimes, especially in the playoffs is a bad thing. Play your best players and like feature Giannis. Like I, he's just, he's doing some things that are just head scratching. Like, I saw a stat that um, Dante DiVincenzo was being uh, he was being outplayed um, by was it, was it Marvin Williams? It was uh, Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton mm -hmm. is averaging it's like significant. It's like five more minutes a game than DiVincenzo right now, and it's stuff like that. And I saw this breakdown and like DiVincenzo's 
point per possession is like way higher than conference, like significantly higher. And it's like, then what are you doing? Like, it's just, you're in the playoffs. Points matter. At the end of the day, it's who scores more points. And like, you can get too cute with like how you're trying to match things up. Like just play your best players. It's, it doesn't seem that difficult. Stuart, you like, ready to do a rub, man. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> Watching that game one of the Miami-Milwaukee series, there were three straight after timeout plays that resulted in one Giannis like step back three, a like 35 foot Chris Middleton pull up three with Jimmy Butler on him. And then one like toes on the, the three point line, Chris Middleton step back with Jimmy Butler on him, like long two point shot. Like they were terrible, terrible plays out of the timeouts. And I, I think Bud's a good coach. I think Bud's a good coach, but I, yeah. he's, he's got some major, major flaws and major, major issues. I still think Milwaukee wins the series in probably six in six or seven, but I don't think they get past Boston. That's why I have Boston going to the finals, but yeah, I think, sure. I think Bud's overrated. So what other, who, what other coaches that are in the bubble that are still have teams playing in the playoffs right now, do you think are in a similar boat? Because Personally, I, I could say the same thing about Doc Rivers to an extent. I think yeah, Doc's sure. obviously a great coach. And this is hard. Like, we're nitpicking, like, great coaches. But yeah. at the same time, like, I feel like Doc made, like, crucial, massive crucial errors in that Dallas series. And we're going back now. Dallas has obviously been eliminated. But there was that game where Luka hit that step back. And back-to-back possessions, they switched on to Reggie Jackson. Like, how do you not – like draw that up in the huddle and say like, don't switch that or hedge that. Or like, I don't know, pull Reggie Jackson off the floor. Like Donchage picked on Reggie Jackson two positions in a row. And I'm like, <laughs> how much is this coach getting paid? Doc Rivers? Like it is just like inexcusable. It's mind blowing to me sometimes. What other coaches do you think are in that same conversation though? Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a great question. That's a great question. I got to think about it for a second. Like Doc Rivers, um, I think I think Mike D'Antoni is still a good coach. Agreed. Like I think he's still a good coach, but I think he's. I think Austin brought up a point about D'Antoni today when we were kind of talking about it before the, we hopped on, is that D'Antoni has kind of run his course a little bit, where I think people have kind of grown past D'Antoni in a way like he's his his offense was this revolutionary thing back in the mid-2000s and it pushed the tempo and everybody has grown from that I think teams like the Warriors and like the Warriors specifically have kind of figured that out and improved upon it to the point where I don't think you can win a title necessarily with D'Antoni as your coach but I still think he's a good coach well, see, I gotta, I gotta push back on that a little bit because I think D'Antoni was a Chris Paul injury away from beating Golden State, and, and, and I mean they've come so close, and it's, I, I don't know, I, I think it's easy to look back and say that Golden State like dismantled them because they did in a sense, but I don't know, like he's been so close a couple times, like you can look it back to his time in Phoenix too, where like Rob Roy hip check, Tim yeah, Donahue, you know what I mean, like not to like reopen old wounds, but like he's, he's been right there. So is it his system or is it, I hate to say just like a matter of luck, but I don't know. Like, is it just a couple like bad bounces that didn't go his way? I, I think there is luck. I mean, there it's, it's the NBA, like things happen all the time. Like, like as good as Toronto was last year, if Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson are playing, like they win the series, right? Like it's, yeah. there's always luck. There's always just timing and, and timing is everything. I just, with D'Antoni, like, obviously, I think he's a great coach. I think he's done a great job for the league. He He's a guy that, like, if he were to leave Houston, like, if that were to happen, I know we want to talk about that in a little bit, but, like, if he were to leave Houston, I, he's going to get picked up. Like, people are interested. Like, he's he brings a lot to the table. Yeah, Indiana specifically, really Yeah, and I think that'd be an interesting fit. But just speaking specifically about the idea that, like, coaches who maybe are a little bit stubborn and coaches who just – hold on too tight to one way of doing things. Like we're talking about with Bud a little bit. Like I think Dan Tony fits that category. Like we yeah. saw it with the Suns over and over again, where, where Greg Popovich would just out coach Dan Tony. Like 
He just knew how to get the right matchups. Yeah. And D'Antoni believed so much in his guys that he just would run the same guys out and try to try to beat you the same way. But Dan, or, but Popovich was so good about matching up and so good about playing to D'Antoni's weaknesses. And so I would love D'Antoni. I think he's a great head coach. And wherever he ends up going or if he stays, he, he's going to be an impactful coach. He'll be on a playoff team probably because he's, he's talented as in terms of a, a system, in terms of a, a belief. But I, I do, I do really worry. Like I do worry that he will never get a team over the hump. Yeah, and you're right. I think that's what sets Pop apart as like maybe the best coach of all time. Such a legendary coach is like he's he coached a, a Spurs dynasty that was led by like totally different styles of stars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he pivoted his system like and he curated his system to his stars. And so it's less of like his system as much as it is like his adjustments really and like just yeah. his expertise and his experience. And so um yeah I think that's a great point to bring up Popovich um and I love that like we had kind of attacked the coaching angle on this podcast I know Stuart you've always been you've always been big on the like the coach's impact and it's I think mm-hmm. less visible in the regular season game to game there's so much more variance it's like oh yeah. this, is, this guy took over this is a bad shot but you see it yeah. so much more in a playoff series where like adjustments are made from game two to game five and or a lack of adjustments are made from you know game three to game six and so yeah, I think it's extra visible. Do you think that yeah, D'Antoni – do you think he's a fit in Indiana? Is that, is that a spot that you like? Because I know that's one of the vacancies. That was a surprise firing, by the way. Indiana. It was, but that's why I think that they have someone in mind. It's kind of like when the Suns fired um, Igor Kokoshkov, it was like, okay, like I we agree that there was some flaws from Igor, but it was like you better have someone in mind. Yeah. If you're gonna let a guy things. go after one year, you better have someone in There's mind. There's some strong reports as D'Antoni. Stuart, you don't like D'Antoni as a fit there, right? I'm curious to hear your I reasoning why. I don't think it fits. Um, I I understand the point made about like Indiana's a really good defensive team, so an offensive coach can kind of fix their deficiencies on offense. But I think, just my opinion on how on, on coaching, I think you fit the team to the coach's system. And so with Indiana, I, I just think that, especially with Miles Turner and Sabonis as you're potentially five and four, if that's how they're going to run it, I just yeah. don't see Dan Tony's offense flowing very well in that system, especially when you got ball stoppers like T.J. Warren. And, yeah. I mean – I mean, Victor Oladipo even sometimes can, can get a little ball stoppy um, with his ball handling and his dribble. So I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think the system fits um, as well. And I think I think D'Antoni's actually improved on the defensive end a lot recently. And so I think I, I think a team like a, the Pelicans would be a much better fit. But um, but yeah, Indiana Indiana is not a huge huge fit for me at all. I don't, I don't think it makes a ton of sense. At least the current iteration of this Indiana team. Cause I agree with, with their big men. Cause like, you, you know, Victor Oladipo, there's a lot of rumors, like say they move miles Turner, like, and that changes everything, but I agree with you. That's, that's a good point. Like kind of the current roster uh, makeup, it's kind of a clunky fit. Um, what about, uh, what about Chicago and um, uh, Brooklyn? I'm spacing on his name. Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. Do you guys like that fit? Yeah, I – 100%. 100%. Like, I – if I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and I'm not, but if I were a Chicago Bulls fan, that's that's the guy that I would want. I think that he just – he comes in. I think he's been so good about taking – because they got, they got D'Angelo Russell, and, like, he immediately kind of transformed that team to play around, like, his ability to, like, really hold the ball, make plays for other people. And he – I just think he does such a good job with what he's given. And to be honest, like, I, I am curious to know who Brooklyn will get, and we can talk about them next if we'd like. But um, I just think he'd be such a good fit with all this young talent, really trying to maximize the best of, of all these players. And and I think that you're going to see maybe if, if Market, and maybe he does have deficiencies, and it's just easy to say, well, Boylan doesn't, like, play these guys in the right way. Whereas I feel like you bring in Atkinson, you're going to see very quickly, like, who – who fits, who's good at what. And I think he just, he'll, he would maximize that team. And I think that that team would, with that kind of a head coach, would be in a position to say, like, hey, like, let's see how far we can take this. I, I think that'd be the perfect fit. 
yeah, he was really fun with that Brooklyn team. He he brought so much life to to the team. And he re- really revitalized like the whole culture, like all their new city distant jerseys. I feel like he was so integral to like I don't know that that whole movement, like their whole bench mob that they had. Like it, yeah, he was he was infectious. I think is the right word for him as a coach. <laughs> yeah, a team like Chicago is like desperately in need. Um, that's like the anti Jim Boylan, right? Like, that's oh, it's the anti. I, I totally agree with that. Like a Jim Boylan being so like a dictator, a guy who's so like he's so staunch in what he thinks is right and commanding. Whereas Kenny Atkinson is so like I believe in this system and watch it will work. And guys just kind of gravitate and they love it and they play hard and they see success. I I think that'd be the perfect fit for for Chicago. I yeah. can't even think of another name where it's like. I just think that would be the perfect spot for, for him and for them. For all those young players, too, he's great with young players. He's great at developing guys, and I think I think you're right. I think that's a perfect fit. Well, so let's stick on the idea of young players because Chicago, I think, is – they're so full of, like, young talent. And I think they've – we talked about this last week a little bit, like misusing Wendell Carter and whatnot. Um, but they're they're picking sixth after the lottery, right? Is that the breakdown? I think they're one of the more interesting teams in that. Chicago's uh, in that top range. Oh, they're fourth. Okay, so that's even yeah, yeah. Chicago fourth. And this year's draft, you know, four six, like it's kind of a, a coin toss. But sure, there's there's some interesting names there. There's I think Lamelo's starting at. I mean, mock drafts are mock drafts, so you know, take it for what it's worth. But there's some reports that teams are a little hesitant on Lamelo. Maybe he's not a lock to go top three. Like, he could be there at four. I think Chicago's just an interesting fit for a couple of these guys. Obi Toppin's another guy that could be, like, really exciting with that core that they have if they move on from market end. Yeah, I don't know. So if you're Chicago, if you're Chicago, would you trade up? Like, if LaMelo is a top three? And I I get being hesitant on LaMelo. I really do. Like, I – I think he's going to be really talented, but I, I think that he is kind of a I, – I, I could see someone being like, I don't know if I want this, you know, this kind of personality in my locker room per se, but if you're Chicago, like, would you be willing to move up a little bit to snag LaMelo? Like, is that the guy that, like, would be the best fit for them? Like, what, like what, else, would they, what else would they really be going after? I like the Obi Toppin fit. I think I'm higher on Obi than, than maybe you guys are. Um, I think – I think he fits really well. I think they need a three. Otto Porter is Otto Porter. Um, yeah. But I think Such a long-term fit. He fell, like, off the map. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry. I, I don't know what happened to that guy. He, like, went from, like, a really exciting player to, like, a worthless NBA player in, like, two years. But, he, got, he got money and then decided yeah. not to play basketball. It's true. Um but but no, I like I like the fit with with Obi Toppin and Lowry and and Wendell. I think I think that works really well, um, and especially with a guy like Kenny Atkinson. I I just love that fit, Austin. I think I think that's a great fit. But Lamelo, um, I just don't know if I love the fit next to Kobe White. Yeah, similar players, right? A real combo yeah, guard, like. I, I don't know if they're similar because Lamelo has such better vision, but yeah. But that's kind of like, like the they David would compliment. Maybe, maybe. Lamelo's tough, man. Like he, he is such a talent. That vision, like, is so special. But it really is going to take the right system. Yeah, it will. And, and it I don't will. think it's Minnesota. Like, and that's why I think Lamelo's kind of, in my opinion, in his own tier, ceiling wise. And I think if I was picking number one, I'd probably pick Lamelo Ball, but. I, if I'm Minnesota, I think you have to go Anthony Edwards. I think he complements the stars you have on your roster. You have no defense on that roster at all. And so I think going to a guy like Edwards is a lot safer, especially if Ball can't play defense. But I don't know. I kind of, I kind of felt like that as well, Kyle. But then I, I thought about it, and I kind of feel like Jarrett Culver is – Anthony Edwards like I kind of feel like they're very similar and maybe I'm wrong maybe Edwards is a better ball handler and a better shooter but I kind of I don't know I feel like they're kind of similar do you do you feel that way or do you feel like they could kind of coexist he had a really really bad statistical rookie year I think on paper he is like that three and D mold type player and I'm not super high on Anthony Edwards 
for what it's worth. Like, I think, you know, I'm kind of like putting my big board together, but like, I've got him like fifth, I want to say. Like, he's, oh, really? I don't think he's a super high IQ player. I think he's a really streaky offensive player. And like, I don't know, is, is the guy that elite defensively to warrant like number one? I just think fit wise, if I'm Minnesota, I would trade down if, if I could. But yeah. Well, I think we're all talking for not because Minnesota is going to trade the number one pick to the Suns for Devin Booker. So, oh my gosh, I can't stand <laughs> all that talk. And, but to be fair, I saw someone on Twitter talk about this, and they're like, "Hey, Suns fans, like we've been talking for so long about the idea of like going to get Cat in a trade." So, like, it, I it's saw that. Yeah. like it's it's fair. Like, I get the I get the idea, but yeah. oh my gosh, he ain't going nowhere. He, he's a son. I saw There's I saw no someone way. on YouTube. He was a Denver Nuggets fan that said. Man, I love Devin Booker. He said, I would trade anything, like anyone not named Jokic, Jamal Murray, or Michael Porter Jr. Like, anyone not named listening, like, you know, it was Tory Craig and, like, your 25th pick. Like, Monty Morris and Tory Craig. Oh, it's so bad. In Minnesota, it's the same. It's like, you guys, like, number one pick, right? I responded to someone on Twitter. I'm like, it didn't work out so well for us last time when we picked number one overall, so you guys can keep it. <laughs> we'll take the wrong guy anyways, so just don't sure. worry about it. Well, well I hope that we it. don't do that. So as Suns fans, we can stay a little bit more level-headed. So. Yeah. <laughs> this official, the Parking Lot Podcast is squashing any rumors about Devin Booker going to Minnesota. It's not happening. And... I'm sorry, Minnesota fans, for... They don't even have the pieces right. that they wanted to. Like, because obviously they'd want him to pair... They'd want to pair him with Kat and D'Angelo Russell. I'm like, right, I'm not right. those two guys. Like, yeah. I don't know. You could try to do, like, what Houston does and trade, like, your next 17 first-round picks. But yeah, <laughs> there's just... There's a level where it, it's not trading Russell Westbrook's, like, albatross of a contract. And he's, like, right. there in his career. It's, like, a young, budding superstar in Devin Booker. Which is the same yeah. reason why, like you can't expect like Denver to trade Jamal Murray for nothing. You know what I mean? Or even sure, Philly sure. to trade Ben Simmons for nothing. Like yeah, exactly. all sorts of like crazy trade rumors, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We're better than that. That's for sure. We're not, here's falling, we're not falling really, in that trap. Yeah, here's the fit I really do like uh, in the early lottery, just kind of like uh, looking at some of the teams and where everything falls, where all the dominoes uh-huh. are. I, I especially being a Suns fan, taking eight number one, I think it's so hard to build around a center. But I do think James Wiseman is kind of a low-risk move for um, the Hornets. I think that's kind of a decent fit. I think hmm. I think they have some good guard play. I, I'm not super – I'm lukewarm on Terry Rozier, but I like Devontae Graham. Um, really good this have, year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, P.J. Washington had a pretty good year. But I, I don't know. I just think – He's like that perfect kind of like upside swing if he does have a jump shot and he's obviously incredibly athletic and the defense is there. You can get him at where they pick in five, I want to say, or four. They're they three. Oh, they're three. Yeah, they're three. They won't lose three. Wow. Yeah. Like so, they're in contention for LaMelo or Anthony Edwards. Like I could see those guys sure. going one, two, but like that's where I kind of think Anthony Edwards would, would fit really well as a guy who like is very low risk. Like they're not in a position to like, yeah. Like if you were to go to Golden State, it's like, hey, there's expectations here. Like you got it. Like we got it. We need your help. Like right now, or we're gonna move you in a deal to get someone great. Or I, I, I do feel like Anthony Edwards would take good with Charlotte because they have some good guard play, and he yeah. could just kind of be a better like spot up shooter, not being reliant to take the ball and make a lot of plays, yeah. which he can do, but kind of work into that role a little bit. But yeah, Wise yeah. is a good fit because he's low risk. Like you could you take the chance and see what you can get out of that guy. For sure. For sure. Well, Charlotte struggled with big man play for a long time. I think the best center that they've got is like Cody Zeller. Or, he's been there for or, like 10 years too. He's, he's been there for a long time. He's their permanent center. That's sort of like, man, they could use an upgrade. Yeah, Bismack like, Biombo. Too. They, they got Bismack yeah. Biombo, <laughs> Willie Herman Gomez. Like all these just like guys that have been around for way too long that just continue to get jobs, you know? Yeah. Oh, remember Ray yeah. Spalding? He's over in Charlotte right now. Ray Spalding. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Ten Day. <laughs> what about what about New York? I think New York, being here in the city, like they are just starving for any type of star talent whatsoever. 
I wasn't high on RJ Barrett last year. I don't think RJ Barrett is a star that some people anointed him very prematurely. Um, I think he's at best a third option on a good team. Yeah. He's just not, I don't know. I don't think he's built to like be a 28, 27 and eight kind of guy. Like it's just not, it's not in his game. I don't know. I think I would, I would trade up to get LaMelo. I think LaMelo would, he would thrive uh, in Madison Square Garden every night. I think the city suits him. The stage suits him. And so, especially if he slips a little bit, if you're sitting there, if he's at there at three and you can, you know, make a deal with, with the Hornets potentially, they can slide back and, and, and grab one of these guys. You can go up and get LaMelo. I think that's a good fit. But. but that's where I've always struggled with New York a little bit when it comes to star talk. If they just, like their 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 roster has been just so like decimated for so long that I just don't know like listen they're not going to be good for the next even if they get Lamel they're not going to be great next year so like their their first round picks are more attractive but like I just don't know I really don't know what you're going to get like I I just don't think they have enough ammo to go from eight to like two or one even or three like wherever Lamel ends up falling I just I can't see them just having enough juice like like Julius Randall great player but like if he can, like he's not going to move the needle for a top team. And R.J. Barrett's a nice player, but like in an ideal world, you're hoping to pair these guys. So like you're not going to want to move on from it. Like Mitchell Robinson you like, but you could move on from. I just – like they, they keep letting these guys go like Marcus Morris, you know, where it's like yeah. – I think he was only on a one-year deal, but like sometimes like, I think teams should hold on to these guys and finish out the year with them and then be able to use them a little bit in terms of, of, of deals, but – yeah, I just I mean, don't know they, what I just don't know if they, they have enough to go everyone up. Everyone to one year deals and then <laughs> it's just a strange off season. It didn't make any sense after they struck out after they struck out on Katie yeah. and Kyrie and everyone. But yeah, I hear you. They need something. It's just it's sad to see this. It is sad. It is super sad. I would love to, to see like, New York be great again. It's good for the NBA. Scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely dive like deep into a lot of these prospects we'll like really like I think we'll talk about like our big boards we'll talk about like mock drafts we'll talk about I think the best fits um and, and there, there's time like leading up to the draft and I'm excited we're definitely draft junkies <laughs> we're draft gurus I don't know For about sure. gurus, but definitely draft junkies um, yeah and so we'll definitely dive deeper into that but I wanted to I wanted to introduce a, a segment that we're going to kind of make consistent every week where we talk about um, a hypothetical trade um, and maybe it's a little more realistic than hypothetical not in that it's actually going to happen but that it has like all of like the tenets of a realistic trade and so we're going to break in we're going to break down like uh, cap implications we're going to break down like really like is this like a, a, maybe a net neutral trade for both sides does it make sense for both sides because you see so many terrible terrible trade proposals out there and it's infuriating for fan bases and so as i think we're trying to take kind of a uh like a more general like nba landscape approach and like really take into account like if i were a fan of this team and if i were a fan of this team like does that make sense from both sides and try to uh, postulate a, a couple of these trades and so we were looking this week we, we talked a little bit about utah and um them blowing that 3-1 lead, I think that's uh, going to open the door to, at the very least, trade discussions, roster construct discussions. Um, I think Donovan's clearly the star that they need to build around, and they need to embrace Donovan and play more to his style, because I think they're hampered by Gobert. And I don't think teams are lining up to trade for Ruby Gobert. Um, but what do you guys think about a fit in Brooklyn, specifically? I, I'm not a huge fan if I'm, if I'm Brooklyn, um, yeah. mostly because I think that Kevin Durant and Kyrie went kind of out of their way to get DeAndre Jordan on the roster last summer. Like, and DeAndre Jordan is so kind of a, washed up though. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, I, as a GM would rather have Gobert, but I think, I think your goal is to keep Kyrie and KD happy. Yeah. And, and I just don't know. Like, if they went out of their way, they took less money to get DeAndre Jordan on the roster. Like, I don't I don't know if if they'll want Gobert um, taking up that spot. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I'd rather have Gobert than DeAndre Jordan. But 
but for the money though, like I, I totally hear you. So, so let me uh, run this proposal by you and then sure. let's uh, kind of chop it up and, and dissect it a little bit and let me know what you guys think. But I scoured the league to try to find a team where Gobert would fit. And I, I know there's like teams that have holes at center, but teams that need a star that doesn't need the ball in his hands, I think is what I was looking for. And that's why I kind of zeroed in. I have no idea how Katie and Kyrie feel about Gobert. So, I mean, if they don't, they don't want it, it'll never happen. But yeah. hypothetically, Katie and Kyrie are, are, are two very ball-dominant players that really need the ball in their hands 90% of the time collectively between the two of them to be effective. And Gobert doesn't. Gobert can catch lobs. He can rim run. He can protect the rim, play great defense. Would you hypothetically um, – would you guys approve of a trade – if you're a GM for either side here, Gobert for obviously Jared Allen, who's going to be kind of a, a Gobert light. He's like a, a watered down version of Gobert. And sure. maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, for example, a guy who's been rumored for the last couple of years. Um, Austin, do you have those numbers up actually? Could you look up those contracts? What yeah. Jared Allen and Dinwiddie compared to Gobert look like? If it's yeah, close? let me pull Let me pull up, um, let me pull up uh, New Jersey's or – yeah, New Jersey, right? Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I know. I, I was like, that doesn't, sound, that doesn't sound right. I'm like, it's yeah. not New Jersey. Brooklyn. I know, we had both Brooklyn I know we had an NBA team win with 80 points today, Austin, but we're not back in 2005, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my <laughs> mind, man. <laughs> okay, so I'm pulling up Brooklyn right now. So Spencer Dinwiddie, his new contract. Yeah, that's such a great contract for this guy. Man. Yeah. He's, so he was $10 million this year, 10.6. He goes to 11.4 and 12.3. So if you're Utah, you're getting it for two years at that. It's a great – it is such a great player. Um, Jared Allen, he's making 2.3 this year. And then next year's his last year, but 3.9. Oh, so he's still on a rookie scale, though. Yeah, he is. He is. And I I just can't see him even still getting more than 10 million or something. I I don't see him much more of like a 10 million guy. I think he's got – he brings value to a team. But at at the end of the day, like – Teams can find guys who will take five to six million to do a lot of the same stuff that Jaron Allen will do. Um, if I'm if I'm Brooklyn, I would be much happier keeping those guys than and going after Gobert. I I think the only reason you go after Gobert, I think the only way you do it is if you look at your competitors in the East and you think we could really use a guy like this to defend the paint. Like if you really think that having a guy like that is gonna elevate your roster, yeah. because he is a great defender. Like that there. We can question maybe his shooting or his his ability to like get open sometimes. I feel like he gets a little lost on offense with Utah. Like we can yeah. question some of that, but but at the end of the day, like he's a defensive anchor. So if you feel like he's gonna help you really shut guys down like Giannis or just really contain the paint for you, then it's worth it. But I just don't know if that's the fit that I want. But jumping real quick over to Utah's um, payroll, mm-hmm. uh, Gobert's getting paid. He's got one year left after this year, and he's getting twenty six and a half. So well, you could, it's, it's you could manageable. It is. It is. Yeah. You could go one year of Gobert um, and say, you know what? Like, let's kind of see what we got. You know, you could try to throw that out there for one year and see and then reevaluate. But just to kind of point out real quick with, with Utah. So this year specifically, there was one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six guys that are making more money than Donovan Mitchell this year for this team. Um Ooh. So Donovan Mitchell next year is his last year. He's making making $5.1 So, like, if they were able to move off of Gobert and get guys that, like, had good contracts for years to come, that would be a great move for them, I think, going forward. They would get get more talent over across the board. Um, I think it would set them up good for for years to come. I just can't see – I just don't know if that's the fit for Brooklyn. Yeah, and I think we'll, like, going forward, I I guess, give some more – uh, like more concrete trades like we'll really like dig into the cap and like try to find stuff that like really like works in all moving parts it, i had such a hard time trying to find a gobert trade this is the closest thing i could find was brooklyn yeah maybe it's, they it's want, interesting maybe they want a third star I, it's crazy to think that like a guy that was an all-star this year is going to be that difficult to move it, it, 26 isn't like 37 it's not tobias harris money but man it, it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough if i'm utah I think I'd love to move him for whatever I can. And I'd be thrilled if I get Dinwiddie and Jared Allen kind of thing. Someone that can do something yeah. similar. Plus a guy. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to watch Dinwiddie in with uh, 
with Snyder and see what he can do with them, especially watching you know, like Jordan Clarkson and some of these guys. But yeah, so we'll have to chew on that a little bit. If you're Utah, is there a scenario where you could like package Gobert and maybe Mike Conley's contract and hope to just salary dump it on somebody? That's a lot of money. That's, That's a, a lot, lot of money. money. Yeah, you gotta think, have a lot. I think Conley's last year was like forty, isn't it? He's thirty-four and a half, man. Like, and I think it's a player option. When he it's signed a... it, he, it was like it was like the most expensive contract in history when he signed it. Like Which is crazy. Memphis, yeah, and that's been passed up by Steph and a bunch of guys. But yeah, yeah, that's um, it is a lot of money. I don't know how you move that much. I, yeah, I'm thinking about Gobert. I think the only teams that like really would go for Gobert is like we just brought up New York, like the Knicks. Like if they really do want, like if they really want like star players, like sure. I don't, and I'm not saying this is the right fit, but if they really just want to try to get like star players, someone that they can like Relative. market and someone that they can try to like. Yeah, someone they can try to say, hey, like, we got Rudy, we got, like, see, come play. I just, but I even and, still, I don't love not the just bit. to shoot I it down, because I agree. Like, it would make I don't love it, but. But what's know. crazy is, like, even New York, people here are really high on Mitchell Robinson, and for good reason. And he was a second-round sure. pick, so it's like you get similar production. It's just the center position today is so, it's such in a state of flux. You can get guys yeah. that do similar things that cost you a tenth of the price, and you got in the second round. It's because I agree with you, a team like New York, like on paper, makes sense to bring relevance, like of some kind. We've even talked Charlotte, like could you know they get in the, could they make a play kind of thing just to like try to get them like into the playoff picture. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. So in order to make the Brooklyn trade work, it looks like you'd have to trade DeAndre Jordan. Oh really? To make the salaries uh, match up. Yeah. Yeah, because. I'm I'm running it right now, and you'd even have to throw in another player to make it. You get about ten million off with uh, with Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. I didn't realize Jared Allen was making like two million a year. That's so that's that's a bargain. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this might surprise you because I feel like we kind of all feel the same way. I think I think DeAndre Jordan has an impact, but this this is crazy. I didn't know he was making this much. He he made nine point eight this year. He is on the books for for Brooklyn. Through 2022, 23, 10.3, 9.8, 9.8. Like, I, if, if they could find some way to move that guy now, they would, they would benefit in two years from now. I just, I, I just yeah. feel like he's, he's slowed down so much. And in this league, you can, if you have enough talent with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I guarantee you they can find centers like Daniel Tice yeah. or any centers to come and play for them to come on like a $3 million, $2.5 million contract because these guys are screen setters, they're rebounders, they know their role, and they'll win a lot of games. Like I, those, teams will, those teams that are good like that will always find big man. They can always do it. I totally agree. Can guys restructure like they do in the NFL? Do you hear that in the NFL all the time? Where it's like, it doesn't hey, happen a lot in the yeah, NBA. You, you kind of suck now. You had like three injuries. <laughs> like, let's restructure your deal. Like, that's for like sure. the perfect scenario for DeAndre Jordan, right? Where it's like, dude, right. nobody – like he's gonna get his money, good for him. You know what I mean? Like get that contract, sure. and like Kyrie and Katie are gonna want him there. But like he's worth like two and a half million a year. He's Tyson Chandler. You know what I mean? Like on the Rockets bench, you forgot he was even on the team. But. You see the stats on Tyson Chandler, by the way. He uh, <laughs> he got called in to come shoot two free throws, so he was he was he played zero minutes, and then he was over two from the free throw line, and then he <laughs> subbed right back out. So he didn't even log a minute, but he's over two. But that that poor guy, we as Suns fans were like, we had to live with that for so many years. He just he was so slowed down. He's so slowed down. He's been a great player in his career, but he's been he's so slowed down. Yeah. So sorry, I'm just I'm just kind of obsessing over the Gobert thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I feel like. Sacramento would probably make a run at Gobert, right? <laughs> they love centers. <laughs> if Sacramento <laughs> loves anything, they love centers. <laughs> Dwayne Dedman, Gobert, Alex Len, bring them all in. Because <laughs> you can trade like, like Buddy Heald. Yeah, that's like true. Buddy, Buddy Heald's been unhappy in Sacramento, so you package something with like Buddy Heald, like Corey Joseph maybe. That's not a bad idea, actually. That's a great honest. name, Stuart. That's a great yeah. name. I don't know how this new regime will be for Sacramento. So in the past, what is it like, oh, man, like they're always gullible <laughs> yeah. for a good trade. Like, too they, much, man. He's, he loves yeah. 
he never closed the door on anything. But so we'll see what the new regime is like. But that is a name where you're like you pair like you put Gobert as like a defensive anchor for that team and say, hey, like let's try to make this work. You know, like let's yeah. let's use the speed of Fox. It, it, you still have Bogdan, so you trade Heald or whoever, whatever you end up doing. You still have enough shooting on that roster, so that's actually a great fit. I, that's actually a good name that we could we could explore more into. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one last segment here. This is another one that we're going to probably make recurring. Um, uh, just a pick of the week. I'm, I'm looking at uh, – uh, I got a couple different sportsbook apps on my phone. If you're unfamiliar with it, uh, uh, the numbers, I'll, I'll give you like a, a minus number, for example, like a minus 130, or I'll give you a plus number. Plus, in this case, it's going to be 148. So plus 148 means, yeah, for example, if you were to – you know, you go to Vegas or you can do it on a lot of online sports books now if you're in the right state. Um, if you wager $100 and it's plus 148, uh, that wager, that bet would pay out 148. If it's minus 148, you have to bet $148 to make 100. Uh, that's just kind of a rule of thumb. So uh, I uh, I love scouring lines. I love, I follow a bunch of like handicappers on Twitter. I, I love daily wager on ESPN. So <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Kyle's there. a man. Kyle's a man when it comes to comes to the odds, man. He's got the touch. He just love, he reads it, he reads it the even, right way. Even if I'm not playing them, I just I love like chewing on odds and like I don't know. It makes the game. And, it changes the game. Like when you're sitting there watching a the game and you're like, okay, like Milwaukee five, like minus five. You're like, huh? It makes you think about the game differently. Or you got over like two seventeen and a half. And, like, <laughs> yeah, you're on pace, but you're like just two points over, and you'll think you just, <laughs> it's all a pace. Yeah, Dang it's interesting. It. Yeah, yeah, it changes but the game. I, I I highlighted and I circled a series line, and this is a live series line. I'm looking okay. at the Miami and Milwaukee line. I was really high on Miami earlier, uh, and for good reason. But I think Milwaukee, we've talked about that them being overrated a lot on the podcast. And I want to get you guys' opinion on this line. But uh, you can get this is Tuesday night, so they play game two tomorrow. But as of today. Right, Miami's up one zero in the series, and you can still get Miami at plus money to win the series. So essentially, mm-hmm. you know, they need three more wins in the next six games, um, and you can get them at plus one forty eight, which is I think pretty incredible value. It's obviously like the books are, are stacking odds in favor of Milwaukee. Milwaukee sure. got down a game to Orlando, but I just feel like Miami is such a far cry from that Orlando team, and, and so I think. Even if it goes to seven games, I think if you can get Miami at plus 148, like you can, this is on DraftKings, I think that's that's pretty solid value. Um, and so if anyone's out there, what do you guys think of that? Do you think are, – are you worried about Milwaukee coming back in this series? Are you worried about Milwaukee storming back in this series? What, how do you guys read that? I've got, I've got Milwaukee in six, but I'll tell you, if, if it goes to a game seven – Hot take alert: Miami's winning. Yeah. Why do you Why do you think that? I think it goes back to to being able to close again. I think Jimmy, with the ball in his hands, I trust him in a game seven more than I trust Giannis. Really? I think yeah, Giannis is obviously a player, but uh-huh. I think his offense is so limited that, like, if you if you bring it down to a one game, one game to save my life, I'm not putting Giannis on my team. He's had a lot of offensive fouls this series. I know it's just one game. Well, I guess these playoffs. I, he's just—he's such an aggressive player. He's such a unique player. And I, I love watching Giannis yeah. play. So it's, it's, uh-huh. not a, it's not really a whole lot against him. It's not a shot against him necessarily. But I feel like I don't know. Defenses are figuring him out, figuring him out a little bit, and now he's expanding his range. So he's—it's—it's it's a give and take. It's a cat and mouse thing. But he can't just necessarily barrel into the lane out of the half break set because guys are reading that and they're just taking the charge and he's getting like two or three offensive fouls a game. That's killing him. He's getting a foul trouble because of it. So it's a, it's a huge adjustment Miami's made at least in game one. So I'm curious to see what that looks like going forward. But. Well, I brought up earlier on the podcast talking about some of the Milwaukee stats. Um, in a lot of ways, like you, you really couldn't be happier with some of the stuff that they were able to do. And so I do think that Milwaukee – I think that they could lose a series. I really do. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I just – I still think this is a Milwaukee series to lose. Um, and to be honest with you, I could see it 
being five or six even still. Like, I, I think yeah. Miami does match up. I just think that Milwaukee, in a lot of ways, just is – I think Miami is so young, too. And Miami worries me just in a long term um, because they, they're talented, but they're young. And, they're, and they're, they have some experience, but mixed with inexperience. And so, I'm still taking Milwaukee. So, that line is, is super enticing because I do think that Miami matches up. I just worry about some of Miami's youth going forward. That I, I still – my safe bet's Milwaukee in six, and to be honest, like, I could see it being Milwaukee in five. I really could. So, I, I think I'd stay away from it, but it's it's super enticing because yeah. my, Miami does match up. Like, they do match up really well. And the numbers, the numbers all year. Miami's had Milwaukee's number all year, too. So, yeah. it's, it's – Yeah, it's we'll tough. see. I, I almost would be even more inclined if Milwaukee were to win a close game, game two. Uh-huh. And then it'd be a one-one series, and I, I think this line would jump up to like, you know, well over plus or something, plus three fifty, and then it's it you're squared, like you're one-one. It's a best of five, and you show that you know you're pretty evenly matched. And I think that may be better value in a weird way than you know, yeah, one-zero. If it's one-one, you can get three fifty. So yeah, if yeah. you want to keep an eye on it, that's that's a series that I like. But, so. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk uh, uh, on the pod next week. We'll talk more about the draft. We'll talk more about some specific players instead of team focus as we did this week. Um, uh-huh. Tons of playoffs to dig into, uh, individual performances, as well as uh, kind of that coaching aspect. We'll kind of follow uh, the, uh, the cooking show a little bit like we were talking about. We got our guys, Coach Malone and uh, <laughs> Coach, Coach Doc Rivers going head-to-head, so – We'll see if uh, any of those. And we didn't even talk about Ty Lue this week. The greatest coach <laughs> in the history of the week. Oh, my gosh. We'll, we'll have to save Ty Lue because I think we could make a whole segment of Ty Lue. <laughs> so, that, I, mean, I can't believe we didn't talk about him. That's a great point. But We'll, t- we'll talk Ty Lue. We'll talk That's Ty a good Lue point. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. That's the Parking Lot episode two. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you guys.